The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. Good evening. Good to see everyone. I heard it said um, not too long ago that children give life even as they take it away, which I feel like is a perfect description of parenthood. Man, what a blessing it is to be able to welcome new babies into, into the larger church family. What a blessing it is to be able to uh, invest in, in moms and dads and have the opportunity to do what we just did. Happy Father's Day to any of the dads who are present and to the families who came to see these beautiful babies up here in the front of the room. Welcome. We are glad that you are here with us as well. Uh, my name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at the Church of Greer Station. What we like to say is that our church exists to make Jesus known. We hope that that's at the the blazing center of everything that we're about as a church is making Jesus known. Beginning here, literally beginning here, beginning in the homes and the families of our, uh, that make up our church, to the ends of the earth, seeing the good news of the gospel carried anywhere and everywhere, to the moon one day, if that becomes a reality. We, we want to be behind that. Uh, if you're a newcomer here with us, we hope that you received a bag as you walked in with a newcomer's card. Uh, at the table here, the newcomer's, t- maybe it's out with the rain, I don't know, but Hopefully you received a black bag that has a newcomer's card in that bag. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to fill that out and dropping it in one of the offering boxes on the way out just so that we could get to know you and say thank you for coming and gathering with us tonight. Now, tonight we're going to begin a series in the Proverbs. We're going to look at Proverbs 8 and the first six verses of Proverbs 9. But the assumption that I'm going to work with here right off the bat tonight, this Sunday night, is that every person in this room wants to live well. Every person in this room wants to live well. I'm going to assume that none of us want to get to our deathbed and in the twilight moments of our existence here this side of eternity, I'm going to assume that we don't want to be laying there with regret, thinking about wasted opportunities and thinking about squandered opportunities the Lord had given us. I'm just going to assume that we want to live effective, good, and even skillful lives, right? I think that's probably a pretty safe assumption to make. Now, what the Scripture teaches is that God designed and created a good world, that he created this beautiful, rich, and full world that's teeming with wonders, that God took what was chaotic and what was nothingness, and he made order, and he made everythingness. He created all that existed, light from darkness, separated the waters into dry land, created life from nothing, everything. And then he made us. He created humanity. And this really mysterious, kind of beautiful picture in the early part of the scriptures, God gathers up a bunch of dust, gathers up a bunch of dust and breathes life into it and calls it man, calls it humanity. And he says to man, my task for you is to exercise dominion over all of my creation. In essence, to do the same things that I just did on a JV level, to create, to make, to take chaos and make order, to take darkness and inject light, to generate life from nothingness. And it's really amazing and totally unique amongst all creation accounts and all world religions, the the sort of dignity that the scriptures give to humanity. God commissions us to live well in and over his world on his behalf. This is who you are as a human being. Regardless of any other fact that's true about you, what we know the scriptures teach is that as humans, we are commissioned to live out God's reign and rule. It is in your genetic material. I think this explains our longing to live well. We were meant to live well. We were built to live good, fruitful, purposeful lives. But there's a big problem. 
I don't always live well. That is not always a fact of my life. Sometimes I wake up and just choose violence. <laughs> we might say, I, I do things that are chaotic and life-squashing all of the time, that run contrary to my design. I constantly get in my own way. You can, hopefully you can relate to that. Get in my own way, I get spiteful, and I make a dumb decision that's rash and emotionally charged, and I end up regretting it. Some days I just sin. I just choose sin from self-interested or resentful or envious motives. I do evil. I don't live well on purpose. But also, if we're honest about life, things are just complex some days. Sometimes I don't live well because I just don't know how to live well. Because sometimes things are just tricky. Sometimes life is just complicated. Things aren't always clear. It feels like chaos rules the day, not order some days. And it's like I don't have the I don't have the apparatus or the confidence in an apparatus to kind of help me navigate all of the complexities of life. Here's a great example from the scriptures of a kind of complexity that sometimes we find ourselves faced with. All right, you ready? This is Proverbs 26, verse 5. This is what the author of Proverbs says. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now, what's the author saying here? The author's saying is, when you see someone who's acting a fool, tell them they're acting a fool so that they don't continue thinking that they're living wisely and it continues to end up poorly for them. Like as a good brother and sister, as a parent, you know, one of my duties is to answer a fool according to his folly, to, to speak to that folly, right? Does anybody know the verse that immediately precedes this verse? All right, let's look at Proverbs 26, verse 4. This is what the author says. Answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself. The author of Proverbs says, sometimes you don't want to answer a fool according to his folly because you start wrestling with pigs, you're going to get muddy, right? So what do we do with these scriptures? What do we do with the complexity that this proverb introduces? I'll tell you, this is how this would play out in 2021. You ready? It would start like this. Person A writes a blog post. Ten reasons why you should always answer a fool according to his folly. This post is followed up by a response blog post from person B in another tribe. Ten reasons why you should not answer a fool according to his folly. Then the masses would start to weigh in. Well, my upbringing in the answer tribe was great. Well, my upbringing in the not answer tribe was great. Things would then heat up even more than that. The impassioned, dramatic Twitter spats would begin. Furious comments, comment warriors tapping away at their keyboards. People would start saying things like, well, you know what? I think that the true Christian answers fools according to his folly because that's what truth is about and that's what truth does. This is the Christian position. Anything else short of that is compromising the gospel. That's why young people are leaving the church. They want truth. They want the fools to be answered. And then you'd have tribe B that would say, true Christians don't answer fools. That's the loving thing to do. This is the Christian position. That's why Gallup polls tell us membership is down because Christians are just so angry and harsh and so quick to answer fools according to his folly. And then things get even hotter as it progresses. You know what? Answer people, you're heretics. Your position is not consistent with the historic Christian teaching of the church. Oh, yeah? Well, you guys are sympathetic to fascists because you choose to answer people according to their follies. And then the politicians would get involved. They would realize that they can leverage all of this for votes. They'd build their voting blocks and campaigns on these issues. I'm the fool answering candidate. I'm the one who refuses to answer fools candidate. If you believe that, vote for me. The hashtags would begin. Social media mobs would demand you show where your loyalties lie. Hashtag, answer fools. Or hashtag, don't answer fools. Choose this day whom you will serve. Then people would start leaving their churches. My pastor is too willing to answer fools. I feel the Lord is leading us elsewhere. 
My pastor's too unwilling to answer fools. I'm not sure this is a good fit for me any longer. And so on it goes. And you know what the pairing of these two verses is intended to highlight for us? We need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need understanding and insight and prudence and shrewdness and sense. As it's often called throughout the book of Proverbs, we need all of these things. We need wisdom. And thankfully, God gives us an entire book of the Bible that is commending wisdom to us and wisdom's pursuit. It offers us these wise aphorisms and invites us to be formed into wise people. And so this summer, beginning tonight, we're going to be taking a thematic approach through the book of Proverbs because we need wisdom. If, if ever I have felt that in my life, it is this moment of this day. I need wisdom. In our passage today, what we're going to see is that wisdom is personified in this kind of climactic moment at the end of the first part of part one of Proverbs. So this poem, the sort of everything reaches its climax. Lady Wisdom confronts us and she asks, will you receive me? Will you see my beauty? Will you delight in me? Will you receive me? And will you live by my ways? And that's the invite for us tonight as we take a look at this scripture. Proverbs 8.1. Let's read the first three verses. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. So we reach this moment in Proverbs where the first nine chapters are extolling the benefit of pursuing wisdom. And it arrives at this climactic moment where wisdom is personified as Lady Wisdom, who issues a call to the town and invites any with an earshot of her voice to come and receive her. To come be wise. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? She's pictured as if she's standing at the front gates offering wisdom to anyone who would hear and receive her message. But what is wisdom? How are we to think about what wisdom actually is? What do the scriptures say that wisdom is for us? Well, in Proverbs, wisdom is more than just being nice or being happy. Wisdom, and the best way I could think to describe this, is like a kind of feel or insight that we develop. A kind of feel or insight that we develop into how the world operates that enables us to live out our calling as image bearers. It's a kind of feel that's developed over time. Uh, one way that I thought to illustrate this is my children. Um, I, have, I have three children. I have two boys. Um, I told a bodily fluid story last week about one of my children. No bodily fluids tonight, rest assured. Tonight, I'm going to talk about my oldest son. So my oldest son has developed just this obsession with building stuff, and I love it. So he's, he's found this area in our backyard, I guess where previous homeowners had just left stuff. He's just unearthed, like, pieces of old rotting wood and, and stumps, and he's unearthed pieces of an old fence. It's like this one piece was, like, 20 feet long. I don't even know how it's hiding back there. And he's built this fort out of it. And he said specifically that it's to defend against the zombie apocalypse. I'm gonna, we're building this fort just in case things go down and we need to be prepared. I got us. I got the family you know, prepared. And one of the things that I've noticed, and, and he's done this before where he's used scrapped wood and built forts, is as he's, as he's putting these things together and putting these forts together, uh, I'll go over and sort of inspect the structural integrity, and they're pretty wobbly, right? Like I, I'll shake them, and it's like you kind of have one piece of, of board that's attached to the very tip corner of another piece of board by you know, an, a nail that's not nearly long enough. And, you know, I know that if a wind blows strong enough, that it's going to immediately blow that thing down, you know, much less defend against the zombie apocalypse or whatever, whatever chaos might happen. And, and what I've realized is he just doesn't have the years under his belt 
like dealing with gravity and dealing with physics and dealing with the real world to quite understand that that thing is just not sturdy enough. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't even remember if I took physics, for crying out loud, and I don't know anything about science even a little bit, but it's like I've been around a, a little bit longer than he has, and I've at least developed a kind of feel, we might say, to be able to say, you know what, that thing's just not quite going to work. It's hard for me to explain it. It's hard for me to kind of detail why that's the case, but I just know just from being around for a little bit longer than you have that that thing just doesn't, it's, it's just not going to work. What we might be able to say with that is that I've developed a kind of feel or insight into the way that things actually are that, that I can kind of help and, and bring to my son who hasn't yet lived the years that he needs to live to develop that similar feel. So what I think when the scriptures talk about wisdom, they're calling us to a kind of, well, feel. It's almost a, an intangible way of talking about just like living well in God's world, a kind of insight as to just how things work. I think what we could... What we could say to define wisdom is simply this. Wisdom is learning to live well in God's good world. Wisdom is learning to live well in God's good world. It's feel. It's savvy. It's an understanding of the issues and the complexities of life. It's knowing when it's appropriate to answer a fool according to his folly and when not to answer a fool according to his folly. It's seeing God in his world and submitting to his ways, submitting my ways to his ways and living skillfully along the grain of his design for things. That's what wisdom is, learning to live well in God's world. And the scriptures teach that generally speaking, wisdom leads to happiness and sanity and health and good relationships and overall well-being. That's one of the messages of Proverbs. Here, verses 1 through 3. Wisdom is personified as a woman calling out to be seen, heard, and enjoyed, calling out to the children of men, announcing to the world, I am delightful, receive me. Verse 4, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. If you, if you are a, a, a child, if you are a human being, hear my call, wisdom says. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. I think the first observation we can make about this text is that wisdom is held out to us as delightful. It's, it's good. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's rich. It, it leads to good things. Wisdom is delightful. It's like, I don't, I don't know what you think about the Proverbs or what associations you have with the Proverbs, what maybe uh, preconceived notions that you might bring to this book or what images come up in your mind when the word wisdom is used. But in the scripture, wisdom is held out to us as delightful. Here, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Wisdom is a kind of excellence of living. It's living well, it's living rightly, it's wisdom, and it's to be desired above all riches. Verse 10, take my instruction instead of silver. Take my instruction instead of silver, she says, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is delightful. It's to be desired above, well, fill in the blank, and it's like, as I get older, and I've got a long way to go, and I've, I've shared, I'm, I'm 34, I'm just like, my, my knee's starting to hurt, I feel like I'm 34, going on 60, I've got a long way to go, but man, I have, to, I have to be honest with you, I am buying this, verses 10 and 11, I buy it, I believe it, I want what it's offering, you know what I mean? I want to be wise, and I get that, 
Wisdom is greater than fill in the blank. Wisdom is almost portrayed like a superpower in this book, and I, I want it. I want to be wise. I want to see, and I want to understand, and I believe, because what little bit of silver and gold I've had, and jewels I've had access to is, is not enough. It's not enough. I, I want to be wise, and I believe what is being offered out here in these scriptures. Let's keep reading verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Now what's pictured here in these verses are the fruits of wisdom. Prudence, knowledge, discretion, strength. Verses 15 and 16, it says, kings and princes and nobles rule well by wisdom. The idea here is that if you, if you look, at, look at a noble king or a prince who's ruling well, and it's like you can have access to those same traits and characteristics, that same wisdom could be yours. Riches and honor are with wisdom. Enduring wealth and righteousness are with wisdom. The second observation we can make is something like this, that wisdom leads to the good life. You, you want to live well, Wisdom is the way to do that. Verse 19. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasures. Treasuries, rather. Wisdom leads to the good life. Now, one really important thing to note when you study Proverbs, one tendency that we might have is to read these Proverbs as if they're blank check kind of promises that are being delivered to us. You know, a great example of this is in Proverbs 22.6. Anybody know that off the top of their head? 22.6? Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when is it? He will not depart from it. So how many examples of people do we know have trained up one of their children in the way that they ought to go, and at the end of the day, tragically, they did depart from it? Tragically, there are examples of that. That's because what Proverbs is intending to say here isn't that that is a ironclad promise from the Lord. Rather, it's demonstrating that insight and, and, and feel and savvy, kind of understanding how the world works, would show you that if you, if you raise a child up in the faith intentionally, typically, typically that child will not depart from the faith that was given to them by their parents. Wisdom would dictate these things, generally speaking. So taking seriously, raising our kids in the fear of the Lord doesn't, doesn't mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a surefire promise that they'll never depart from that. But wisdom would teach us that generally, that's the case. Except when it isn't, that's the case. Proverbs aren't promises. Rather, they are a common acknowledgement of a sort of correlation between wise living and a good, fruitful, well-lived life. These things are generally true, and things will generally work out for you if you give yourself to them. And one of the things that we need to do, as, as, a, as a younger church, one of the things that we need to do is just have confidence that the authors of the scriptures aren't clueless on these issues. And just have confidence that what they say is generally going to work out well for us. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield better than choice silver. I walk in the ways of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The fruit of wisdom is the good life. But watch this. This is my favorite part of chapter 8. Lady Wisdom speaking, verse 22. She says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. 
the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. You see what she's saying, Lady Wisdom saying, before there, were any, before there was anything, before everything, there was me. I was with God. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Verse 24, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, and there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting the children of man. Now don't miss what chapter 8 is saying. Wisdom personified with this, as this lady who's speaking says, at the beginning, I was there with God. At the source of it all, there I was with God as he created everything. Not only was I there with God, but I was rejoiced in by God, and I rejoiced in God. I was used by God to create life and to bring all of these beautiful, wonderful aspects of God's creation into existence. One commentator said that wisdom is a fundamental element of reality. So think on this. If we were made to image God and rule over his creation with, for, and like him, and and what we're being offered here is the the same wisdom that was present with God at creation, the wisdom that God used to order his world and form his good world, we're being invited into that to draw upon his wisdom when he made everything. It's like by tapping into wisdom, we are tapping into God's design of things. We were tapping into God's own wisdom that he used to order everything from chaos, to participate in his ordering of everything. So this is, when we talk about wisdom, it's not just common sense. It's to align ourselves with the fundamental things of reality. And in a way, to be wise is to be human. I think the third observation we can make about this passage is is that wisdom is at the heart of what it means to be human. To be wise is to be fully human fully ourselves as God intended us to be, as his image bearers, as we we live out the commission to create and make and live well. I find this passage to be astoundingly beautiful. But there's a huge problem. And the big problem I've already highlighted is some days we just wake up and choose violence. Some days we just choose not to be wise. We know what we're supposed to do, we know what we're supposed to be, and yet disorder and evil are all so natural to us. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, God himself, comes as both a gift and example for us. Is that even though we, have, we choose sin and we choose rebellion and we choose to live against the grain of God's desire for things, to our peril, we choose to persist in being knuckleheads, God himself comes to us and he lives a perfect, wise life on our behalf so that we can be forgiven by grace. But that's not it. The good news of the gospel is forgiveness, plus Jesus then shows us how to live, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to work his wisdom out in us in order that we could live well and live out our calling as humans in the world. And so today, each of us are presented with this choice by Lady Wisdom. In this passage, and in every moment of every day, we are presented with this choice, verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. When the scriptures say, listen to me, that's when they're telling you, listen. 
Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Picture it's like someone with bated breath. You just can't wait for wisdom to come out of the gates. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. You have a fetish for death? Live in accordance with your own wisdom. But if you want life, the scriptures say, pursue wisdom. Choose to walk in the way of wisdom. Will I I live in the way of my own wisdom? What I think is best for me? Do I want to walk in the way of folly and death? Do I want to walk in the way of a kind of barren and fruitless and even useless life? Or do I long to live a life well? To be acquainted with life and goodness? Do I long to be wise? There's three exhortations for us tonight. First, let us see and enjoy wisdom's beauty. Let's see wisdom's beauty and delight in it. Let's see her for who she is and believe what she says about herself in this passage and be delighted by the picture that we're given. And ask God to help you see it. I want to want to want it. One of the things that could happen as we read Proverbs and one of the things I'm going to just challenge us to do over the course of the summer is just to, just to read Proverbs. If you've never done it before, it's at 31 chapters, and you can really easily just read a chapter a day based on, you know, if it's January 20th, read Proverbs chapter 20. And just make notes. What are, what are things that stick out to you? What are things that you like? Scribble something down on a, a note card and, and put it up on, on your mirror in the morning, you know, a proverb that might stick out to you. It's, it's a great book to, to read and kind of digest pretty easily. But one of the things that I bet will happen as we read Proverbs is we're going to read things that challenge us. We're going to read things that challenge our, what we think to be common sense, challenge our sensibilities, and we're going to find it distasteful, or some of us might find some of it old-fashioned. But I suspect, I suspect it's the same kind of dynamic as when a kid who grew up in McDoubles is finally introduced to medium-rare steak, and it's almost like the, the problem is not the steak. You know what I mean? You've got to learn to love the steak, and you've got to grow out of this McDoubles thing. Not, I'm not above a McDouble every now and again, to be clear. But sometimes the steak is too good for them and the problem is not with the steak. And so sometimes as we read Proverbs and we find ourselves challenged and confronted, maybe we've grown up in McDoubles and we're being introduced to something good and rich. And maybe we don't yet have the taste for it. But one of the things that we can pray is, Jesus, give us the taste for this. Help us to see this as wise and beautiful and good. Because I I want to love life. I want to hate death. I want to love life. Teach me to receive these things. Let's believe that blessings and the good life are to be found here, that wisdom is good, that wisdom is better even than riches. Maybe as we study Proverbs, we think about how beautifully written this chapter is. May we read it again and again and just ask the Lord to capture our hearts and imaginations, that he would draw us in and teach us to enjoy and love wisdom. Here's the second exhortation. Let us acknowledge our need for wisdom. Let us acknowledge our need for wisdom. Next week, Jim is going to teach on folly and foolishness. And one of the consistent things you'll see about folly and foolishness in the book of Proverbs is they're, they're portrayed as people whose ears are stopped up, who are, just, who are just unteachable, who are like, it's like two positive sides of a magnet. They just kind of repel each other. It's like the, the fool is just repelled by wisdom. Let us not be foolish. Let us be sensitive and fertile to wisdom. Something you believe right now, Aaron and I were talking about this week. Think about this. Something you believe right now, you will discover is wrong. A week from now, two months from now, 
a year from now, 10 years from now, something you believe right now will, will be wrong. You will find out that it is not that way. And the harder you bucket me saying that, the more likely it is that you need to be told that, right? We must operate with the assumption that I need wisdom. Let's, let's make that our default setting. I need wisdom. I need to grow in this. I need to be teachable and receptive to wisdom's call. And one great place to see this, um, if you've never coached Little League sports, this is a great place to see these dynamics play out. There's some kids, I, I've, I've had the joy of teaching, uh, coaching uh, six and under Greer flag football. We have three wins in two years. It's okay. It's not about the win total, right? It's about memories and, or something like that. <laughs> no, really, it's a lot of fun. But one of the things that you'll see, and you'll see this in real time all the time, is there's some kids that are super receptive and very willing to be taught. They're very willing to be told, you're not doing that the right way. Do this the right way, and it's just going to go better for you. You're going to better pull flags. If you, just, if you break down like this and you move laterally, you're going to better pull flags. Trust me. And there's some kids that just they come in with the assumption that this is the coach, he knows more than I do, and it's going to work out. And then there's other kids who just, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, they've already got to figure it figured out. One of these kids might be related to me, and one of these kids might also have gotten that impulse directly from me. It's 100% just like me. But it's like, that's not, that's not how you throw a football. Well, that's how I throw a football. It's like, well, okay, let's reorganize the history of football around your way of playing football, I guess. Right? Let us acknowledge our need for wisdom. Let us, just, let us be teachable and receptive and be willing to be told we're wrong. Because that's what Proverbs tells us, is at the very beginning of wisdom. It's like, you, you want to do a genealogy of wisdom. You want to get down to its very foundation? What it says is this in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Ground zero for wisdom is the acknowledgement that God's ways are not my ways. That there's a gap there. Wisdom was with God at creation, and I need that. Wisdom is something outside of me that calls me to itself, not the other way around. I want to grow, and I want to change, and I want to be molded. I need to be able to say and believe, I need wisdom. And by God's grace, may we not just say, I need wisdom, but may we say, I want wisdom. Let us be receptive to wisdom. And here's the last thing. Let us choose to walk in the way of wisdom. Let us choose to walk in the way of wisdom. By digging deep with our brothers and sisters here at TCGS or whatever church the Lord has given you over to. Let's dig deep with those brothers and sisters. Let us, let us seek out mentors. Let's limit our digital McDoubles in the form of Twitter or whatever else. Let's read old books. Let's practice what the Proverbs say in faith. But first, let us give ourselves over to Jesus and say, Jesus, make me wise. And I want to invite us to go really deep with the Proverbs. I'm, I'm going to reiterate. I would love for us to just read through Proverbs this summer. Just read through it and just make notes all over Proverbs. Go to, go to Amazon and get one of those Proverbs ESV scripture journals or whatever translation you like. Get one of those scripture journals and just read it and make notes all over the place. And say, Lord Jesus, just make these things true of me. Let's give ourselves over to, to, to walking in the way of wisdom. And let's end by reading the scriptures that Rebecca read a few moments ago. Let's look again at Proverbs 9 verses 1 through 6. Let's just receive it. After we read this, we're going to sing a song, an old hymn called Take My Life. We're going to receive these words, and then we're going to respond by singing corporately, Take My Life, as a way to, to kind of to, to announce to the Lord our intentions as a church family. Let's read Proverbs 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn for seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. 
She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would make us a church that is receptive to wisdom. Would you unstop our ears? Would you give us the humility? Um, Would you just acquaint us with reality? Just show us the truth about ourselves and help us to live in accordance with your design for things. We acknowledge the the difficulties of life. We acknowledge the complexities of life this side of the fall. We we acknowledge the unsin that exists in our heart and, and all of these things war against us being wise and, and living well. And we, we pray for your help, Jesus. We pray that we would see the beauty of wisdom, that we would, we would, we would find ourselves attracted and compelled to that, and that we would, that if we love life and, and, and we hate death, that we would, we would be drawn to what riches are available to us in Proverbs. We pray that we would be receptive to wisdom, that we would we would be humble. We would, we would recognize, as Isaiah 55 says, that your ways are not our ways and your, your knowledge extends well beyond our knowledge. And would you give us the humility, the, the awareness of our own dust to be able to turn to you with receptive hearts. And then I pray that our church would just be wise. We would give ourselves over to the teachings that are found in this book. We acknowledge that the only way any of these things can happen is by your divine your hand sending your spirit to indwell our hearts, to change the taste buds of our hearts, to help us to learn and treasure and delight in the things that you love, treasure and delight in. We pray that you would help us to just grow, grow out of McDoubles and teach us to long for what is rich and what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. And once again, Lord Jesus, we do ask for these children who are... uh, here tonight, not just these children, but all the children that you have, you have graced our church with, we pray that you would help us to teach these children, to, to train them up in the ways that they ought to go. As individual families and, and parents and as a, a larger church family, would you help us to invest well in these kids, again, for the glory of your name and for the sake of their little eternal souls, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would, you would grant us that fruit. We love you. We pray all of these things in Christ's name.